there's certain experiences that we have to go through in life to like get to this point. Um, and without those experiences, uh, you know, we're not, we're not going to understand. So for me, like leaving was a, it was a big decision on many fronts. Like, am I being selfish for choosing my, myself? authentic on air with bruce alexander i'm your host bruce alexander uh a mellow vibe has settled in the on-air studio today and that might be because we have one of the lowest static individuals i have ever met connect remotely from i believe marita yucatan michael ruth joins us today he might have the most unique identity showcased on the program so far so you will not want to miss it more on our guests after today's reflection what commitments have you made and carried out to honor your identity? From coming out as queer to your parents or leaving your established career to embark on a more authentic existence centered around a fulfillment of purpose, the ways to take active steps to commit to living authentically run the gamut. But they all begin with one step, a move in the right direction, a phone call to a friend or a sit down with a loved one. Are you waiting for something to start your authentic life? If so, is waiting on that thing going to provide the same level of relief that comes instantly from embracing yourself. As always, I'm genuinely interested and would love to hear any interesting, surprising, or revelational insights uncovered. So you can hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, threads, or LinkedIn at Authentic Identity Management. Type act now in the comments if you are tired of waiting in fear as life passes you by. I will reach out to you and set up a free consultation to see how I can help you start actively participating in your life and embracing the you that you are right now. You don't have to wait any longer to live authentically. Ramsey Zamoun, or who I knew as Michael Ruth, is an outlier in many instances of his existence. A black man, he was like me, born into the minority and immediately saddled with a large number of expectations. He couldn't help but wear them on the outside. I first noticed his separation from the pack and his choice to be kind in a society that expected the opposite of him. An imposing frame and chocolate brown skin to too many paints a picture of aggression. But in around 1999, three years behind him in school, I sat as a freshman in awe of his peace. Getting stuffed in lockers and chased through the halls by junior and senior football players is how I spent the majority of my spare time. This is how you were shown acceptance as a coach's son and a freshman varsity letter earner, but not by Michael. A senior at the time, I remember sliding to a stop, my face in front of his feet, with two or three meatheads giving me chase, and him saying calmly something like, that's enough, guys. He reached down and helped me up my feet and asked if I was okay. How many genuinely nice people even exist in high school? I certainly wasn't one. It might be my imagination, but it seems like the hazing declined steeply from that day on. I've followed his development from a distance over social media, one of the rare people who actually put their hearts on social media and don't ask for approval for doing so. I watched as he transformed a frame that had gone from imposing to obviously uncomfortable into something new and different, useful, healthy. I watched as he trailblazed amongst my network, amongst my network, messages of black love, mental health, masculine vulnerability, and balance the, the physical and mental to complete a more whole self. I learned how to get where I am today in part by watching specifically Michael be unafraid or brave enough in his fear to share parts of himself that informed my model of authenticity. Thank you for being there then, and thank you for being here now. Welcome to the show, Ramsey's Amon. Correct, correct. 
thank you for such a a wonderful <laughs> intro. We we're just going right into it. I, I didn't know. I wasn't expecting that. But uh, well, I, I like to start that way. I like to kind of give people an insight into how they've affected me whenever they have, because because it, it's important to to recognize those people on your journey. I think it's uh, it's very important, and uh, it's. Like the story you told about me in high school is so funny how our memories are different because like I barely remember anything from those years. Like I was really struggling during those years as well. Um, but, you know, I guess when when your spirit like I remember when people were nice to me in those in those instances. So I, I guess those those times uh, stand out. So just thank you. Thank you so much for uh inviting me on your platform and allowing me to to use my voice and um thank you for using your voice as well providing this space i appreciate that so in no means disrespect but just in the way my brain works in order to change identification of my mental rolodex i need to i need to hear explicitly from you is ramsey's how you prefer to be uh called like at all times now ramses yes yes and that that came about like most people from my past know me as michael the new people in my life uh around the world like know me as ramses and that came about um i went through an egyptian yoga initiation and there was a renaming ceremony and um the basu or the instructor the teacher basically asks you but also asks sources higher than you, like who was this brother, who was this sister before they named him? And uh, that's something that, and I, I'd always associate, uh, uh, you know, resonated with the name Ramses. It means um, begotten by Ra or begotten by the sun. Um, and I always felt that, like that warmth, that's that warmth in my spirit of, and, and also the power, the embodiment of all of that. So, um, once he said Ramses, I was like, of course, of course, this is, this is who I was before they named me. Um, and that's something that I always ask people, like when I'm doing my coaching and things like that, and they have no idea of who they want to be or who they, who they are or where they want to go. I, I asked them, well, who were you before they named you? And it, that question dumbfounds a lot of people. It stumps them a lot of times because we we don't have the we usually don't have the the time or the the capacity to ask ourselves these questions like who do I want to be, uh, who am I, uh, who am I outside of my my job, you know. Um, so I'm excited to be here. Excited for uh, this conversation and. Uh, Let's get into it. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to have you. As I as I looked into your background a little bit, um, I got really more and more excited and interested because you your whole uh I guess purpose in this life from at this point is helping people embrace themselves. Would that be pretty correct to say? Yeah, absolutely. Just uh helping people see their highest self, um, helping people to step into the best of who they are, um, using my life as a living, living example 
of what like freedom, liberation, peace, balance, uh, you know, being in the, in embracing your, your feminine aspects to empower the masculine, like all of these things and, and just showing people how, uh, we, we are our own healers and we can be the, the architects of our own destiny. Like, you know, just because you're in one position one day does not mean you have to be there the next. And that's, that's really one of what I want to help people realize and, and, uh, actualize within themselves. Well, you, you've definitely been a person who's acted that out as well in your own life. Uh, let's, let's go back to, um, after high school, how do you feel like you kind of, you lost yourself to a degree and what did you do to get it back? I completely lost myself. Uh, I joined the the Navy like right after high school and, uh, you know, in the military, you don't have an identity. You become like United States government property. Um, they want to break you down to your simplest form. And if they can get simpler than that, like they're going to try. Um, and then they give you what they want you to know. They give you how they want you to act. They give you how they want you to think and feel. Uh, so I took that on whole, wholeheartedly, like, because I thought that was a few reasons why I joined the Navy. Number one, because I wanted to travel and like get paid for it because I knew life in Oklahoma was like, it wasn't it for me. I had to go do something else. Number two, um, I was struggling with my identity as a black man to like be seen. And I thought that joining the military would be a way for, for me to be accepted in basically American society, you know, in this black body that I have, I thought that them seeing the uniform would, would supersede that. And it does not, it does to a certain degree, but there there are degrees (laughs) to, to a certain degree. Uh, but it wasn't enough for me and I was still feeling, uh, a certain way about, about the way I was treated and the way I was thinking. And then after I got out of the military, um, you know, I still stayed on that path, but as far as first getting out of high school, like, you know, it's so, we're, we're so young then. And so like, we're so eager to, to prove ourselves in society and to, to, to grow up. Um, that was the best option for me. Was it a bad option? No, absolutely not. It was just the option that I took. Like I loved those years actually, and, uh, I'll never forget them. And, you know, they have taken care of me, uh, you know, financially, uh, you know, actually I would not be living the life that I, that I'm am today if it wasn't for those years. And I wouldn't want to change anything in my life because I am who I am today because of that. Absolutely. So, you know, you talk about giving yourself up to the government. I mean, I, to a degree, the fire department was a similar thing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, It is, it is paramilitary. So yeah, yeah. The process of breaking down is not meant to be so extreme, but often it is, especially for people of color Mm -hmm. in order to fit in that mold. It is, it is pretty severe. The amount of breakdown you go through. So I definitely, um, I definitely empathize with that part. At at some point, you gained an uncomfortable amount of weight in there. When did that happen? And what did? How do you feel like that was 
intertangled with that loss of identity? Uh, gaining the weight, you know, it happens over time, just trickles on uh, through the lifestyle that we lead, you know, working all the time and coming in late and uh, just partying and not taking care of your body and me thinking, oh, I'm an ex-athlete. I can get it off at any time. Um, and then like, you know, mid thirties show up knocking at your door and you're like, Oh, hold on. Uh, so it just, it, it happened over time. And I think I'm, I'm six two. So being on a taller frame, like it just didn't sit, uh, like it, like it does on other people. So I was almost like tricking myself and saying like, Oh, I'm not that bad off. I'm not that bad off. Meanwhile, like my back is hurting. My knees are hurting. I got headaches all the time. I feel like crap about myself when I look in the mirror. I don't feel good as a man. Um, so, uh, you know, the weight was, we like to look at the physical weight, but I believe that it was a manifestation of like my unfulfillment in life and my unhappiness in life. Um, it, it was, it was manifesting what I was feeling on the inside. And it was because I didn't love myself. Like I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't uh, think that I deserved the best. I didn't think that I was going to, like, I would say, oh, I'm not going to live very long anyway. I might as well just enjoy it. Like, why am I saying these things? Um, it was a way for me to cope with the pain, with the hurt, with the, you know, just the discomfort that I was feeling in life. Um, and so I, I needed to make a change. Like in 2016, I found out I had a brain tumor and uh, it was like, that wasn't the catalyst for the change, but that got me thinking like, oh, life is kind of finite and I do need to take care of myself. Um, but it wasn't until 2019, um, I was working in the healthcare field and, um, you know, Things just weren't going right. I was almost 300 pounds and I was not feeling great. I wasn't feeling great on the inside. I wasn't feeling great mentally, um, physically, emotionally. Like I was just a wreck. Um, and then my uh, wife at the time, uh, she started this health and wellness program and uh, she ended up losing 80 pounds. And I was like, well, that that looked easy. Like you weren't like stressing about things and everything. And here I am, you know, what do we do as men when we want to go get, get in shape? The first thing we do is run to the gym, no matter what shape we're in or anything. And that's what I did. And I ended up tearing my bicep, um, being almost 300 pounds, not being in the gym for a long time. And, uh, so that gave me a, a little pause. Um, and then meanwhile, see her, just living her best life and, you know, feeling good and looking good. And like mentally she's good. And she asked me, she was like, uh, do you want me to coach you on this program? And, you know, I didn't have anything else to lose. So I was like, yeah, sure. And that was in 2019. And I ended up losing a hundred pounds on that program and just changing everything around and it changed our lives as well because we were able to start coaching that same program so uh we both left our um our jobs that we were in i was in the surgical field she was a pharmacist and we came home full-time to start this health and wellness business um so 
reclaiming my health was was the the start to all this to to all of this i'll always i, I drilled it back to the, i'm like what 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 was the change that started all of this and it was reclaiming my health um because that that allowed me to start thinking more clearly that allowed me to start making decisions um it it was my relationship with food and how I thought about it and the things that I was putting into my body. Like, is this donut serving my higher purpose, my higher self? Is it a high vibrational food? Um, and then once I started looking at things like that, I started looking at like my surroundings, the people I was surrounding myself with, how I was spending my time. Like, is it for my highest purpose? These people that I'm around, this job that I'm going to, these, these people that I'm trading my personal time for money for, for a paycheck, like all, is all of this serving me? And when I say serve, like, is it benefiting my growth, my development, my fulfillment, my, is it filling my spirit, my soul? Um, so yeah, reclaiming my health was, was all of that. And once I did that, I realized there was nothing that that could stand in my way and nothing was going to make me go back to that lifestyle that I had lived uh, previously because I was dying. I was dying in every way. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was not a good time. And uh, you know, I was in a lot of pain physically and like mentally and emotionally. Um but, but, you know, I was able to turn things around and then help show people how to do that for themselves. Nowadays, I'm doing that in a different way, like in a, in a higher calling. But I was going to say, watching it from the outside, it seemed like there was a phase in which, you know, you went through your transformation and you became. And this, you know, this is not a bad thing necessarily, but you became very focused on the. Out the outer the outer expression of self, you know, get, get your body right, you know, take care of your, you know, health is very important. But then yeah. as, as I continued to follow along, that started to fall away. And it, you could tell that once your body was right, you started to get your mind right. And you started to encourage other people to do the same. And that's where you're at now, correct? Absolutely. Well, maybe it's, even it's, your spirit, maybe. It came in, in, in stages, <clears throat> stages, uh, of, of by degrees, actually. Um, and that's what knowledge and understanding comes at us in. It's, it's by, by degrees. And once I started for me, it was like the physical, because that's what we see. That's what we're programmed to just think on, like just the physical. Um, you know, a lot of people have great looking bodies, but they have crappy spirits. Like they're, they're wrecked emotionally and so as I started learning about the different layers and levels of what it means to be in this human experience, um, I started taking care of those. And I, I learned about the holistic approach to health. And that means a whole, like we have all these pieces to ourselves: the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, the mental, all of these pieces. Um, so I needed to find um, a way to start to, to, heal all of those and bring those back together. Um, so yes, it, at first it was the physical to me, um, because this is the vessel that, that carries all the rest of it. 
uh, you know, it carries us through life and, and this experience. Um, so once I, I learned that there was more than the physical, first I had to deal with it within myself, manage it within myself. Um, and then once I learned the importance of it, I was like, ah, okay. It was like another puzzle piece to, to this puzzle that I'm trying to put together of myself. Um, I was like, oh, what's this? I never really dealt with this before. Oh, this puzzle piece is called emotions. Uh, oh, what's this one? Oh, this one's called vulnerability. Uh, you know, and then I put it, put that in my puzzle and I'm like, oh, this is looking, this is looking kind of nice now. Like, uh, um, and that's something as men, like we don't really look at. And that was really important for me because it, it helped me find this balance and healing within myself. I was like, why aren't guys talking about this? Like this emotional side and, and managing and things like that. Um, but for me, it also, another thing that helped me kind of step into that was, uh, you know, managing PTSD, uh, from, from the military and, and, uh, you know, things like that. Also just being in this black body, male black body living in America. Like we, we have some, some, sustained chronic PTSD, um, anger, anxiety, you know, depression, all of these things we don't really talk about. Um, you know, I was trying to figure out how to manage them because I was having such, uh, reactions to the unchecked, uh, emotions and, and thoughts and feelings. And, you know, I was having breakdowns and, and things like that. And I was like, well, this is not how I want to live. Like I need to peel back these layers, uh, to get to the root of this, to find out like what, what's really causing it and what I can do to, to, uh, to help heal it. Um, so yeah, just starting at the physical and, and realizing that there's, there's more layers, there's more layers to, to this, uh, to this journey and it's never ending. Um, once you peel back the, the hundredth layer, like there's one more and there's one more, um, that's, what's so great about being like, you know, on this journey of, of self-discovery, you know, if you think about it, like yourself as this mysterious new world, this new land, and just like the, the, you know, ancient travelers, they would go over one hill just to see what was over it and then go over the next hill go over the next hill. And it's, that's how they, you know, traverse the world. And that's how we, uh, need to be on this, on this journey of, of, you know, understanding ourselves. Um, there's always more, there's always more. Yeah. So as you were, were starting this, I mean, are going through this mental, emotional, spiritual exploration, you were pretty outspoken about things like that black man's mental health and, um, a lot of things that in our in our culture is not wild, widely accepted or talked about. Did you experience any any pushback as you were kind of getting into that stuff? Not really pushback, but it's when you start talking about things like that. When you start talking about people taking their own healing in their own hands, um, you're gonna find some resistance. Uh, because that means that there's some level of self-accountability. There's some level of uh, accepting that these things may have, these things around you uh, are having 
a greater effect on you than you actually want to admit. Like there was a lot of things that was going on within myself that I didn't want to admit that were going on. Um, and that was just causing me to push, push them further, further down, not acknowledge them, uh, not giving them the proper, um, uh, you know, awareness that they need. Um, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of the pushback came from not the black community, but other communities. Because once I started talking about these things and giving like solutions and like really saying like, well, this is because on the surface level, it's easy to blame certain things, but I was going deeper. I was going, I was digging a lot more deeper. And then what I was finding when I started connecting the dots, um, people didn't want to hear. Um, and so when we, when, when us as black men, black women, black community in general, start to talk about what we can do for our own healing and how certain systems, uh, certain mindsets, certain things that have been passed down to us over the generations, um, may have caused in our own like bondage and, and enslavement, not physical, but, you know, mental, spiritual, emotional, and sometimes physical, like this, this, some of the things we do to our bodies can become, uh, like a prison for, for ourselves. Um, but once I started doing that, I realized that, um, Number one, I was stepping a little bit more into that Ramsey's uh, phase and less into the Michael. People, people really liked Michael. Like he was easy to get along with. He was, he was, you know, the yes man. He would always say yes to overtime. Uh, he would, he would be laughing. He would be joking. Um, but then once that changed. And once I was no longer that person, um, I was a little bit harder to get along with within that same system. Um, so, yeah, there, there was pushback. Um, but usually when you're speaking your truth, you you get that. Because it disrupts people's narrative. Um and, and like I said, you, you have to start holding yourself and others accountable uh, when you when you start speaking truth. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I'm glad you were able to to resist the resistance and continue on your journey. Um, yeah. So it seems, you know, once again, I'm watching all of this all on social media, but it seems like your your path to self-enlightenment has taken you all over the world. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. It has, it has. And that's a seed that was planted long before, um, before I started this journey. I feel like every decision that I had made in my life was like preparing me for this journey. Um, but yeah, traveling all over the world, um, you know, it started in the Navy, but it actually started like before that, like I was in scouts and 
had the privilege of going to the sailing academy and, and all of this stuff. I was like, oh, the sailing stuff's kind of cool. It's a great way to go around the world. The world is mo- made of mostly of water and, and things like that. So that's what kind of drove me into the Navy, uh, wanting to to travel. Um, and I was always a, a history buff and specifically like a, a war history buff. Um, but also like the black history of, of that as well. And I would always hear these stories of, and, you know, by this time I had experienced enough black life to know that like, Oh, well, you know, we get treated one way and, you know, people, other people get treated another way. But uh, I'd always heard these stories of black soldiers and servicemen going overseas and being treated totally different yeah. than when they come back to the States. Like they would go overseas when the highest honors of, of be the most decorated unit, uh, you know, over there, but then come back and be killed in uniform. Yeah. Like the day they get back, have to go back to the back of the bus, like Nazi war prisoners, they have to give up their seats the, the black soldiers have to give up their seats for Nazi war criminals and, and things like that. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is just ain't <laughs> like, what is going on? Um, so being in the Navy and going around the world and feeling how that felt. Was that, was that, that, always, that trope accurate? What, you know, is it really better everywhere else for black men? See, I can't say better. It's, it's better than America. Because that's my experience. Yeah. Every place has their own, like there's an anti-blackness mindset globally. Mm. Um, but each place has their own, their own history yeah. and own their own thing. Like, uh, you know, just being here in Mexico, uh, the the police come fully equipped with clips. Like. They're, they are out here ready to do business, yeah. like fully automatic weapons and everything. And they're just like walking down the street, walking on the beach. And at first I was wondering how I was going to deal with this anxiety because just me and police and being in this body, because in America, if I see a police, you know, an officer, it's like my heart starts automatically doing something else. Yeah. And that's, that's that thing that we hold on to that we really don't acknowledge like how this how this has affected our psyche and our in our body and everything so you know i see a policeman down here and they're like handing me water they're like are you it's hot out here like here, here's some water and i realized and i didn't i did a self-check afterwards i was like how do i feel in my body how do i feel in my spirit how do i feel in my mind and i was completely fine and i was like okay well why is this and i was and i came to the conclusion I don't have a history of being hunted for hundreds of years here in Mexico. Right. I don't have a history of being hunted, you know, other places in the world. My body remembers that that's been passed down for, for safety reasons to keep us alive. Um, and it is different. It is different. Like blackness is seen in different ways around the world. I've been places where I've been treated like royalty I've been places where, 
you know, people think I'm some kind of famous actor or something like that. And they're like, follow me. I'm like, yes, I am Idris Elba. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, is my hotel room comped? Um, but I've also been places where, you know, you're followed around uh, because blackness is is an oddity. Not that it's like this racial thing, but it's an oddity because it, it like really hasn't reached this part of the world. And all they have seen is, you know, the f- few black images, the few black, uh, you know, things of their knowledge are like mystical mystical beings, mystical creatures, or, you know, things like that. So people around taking pictures of me and and things like that. But for the most part, especially as a black male, uh, we are appreciated and, and we are, we are seen in, in high regards. And when I tell people like the black male, black person, American experience, they're like, Oh my goodness. Like what, what? what? Like, uh, I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you left. I'm so, I've met way more understanding, grounded, loving, uh, cultured people outside of America than I, than I ever would have, um, staying and, and leaving was the best decision. One of the best decisions of my life. Um, I left to save myself. That's what, that's what I did. Um, and to, to be an example to others that, uh, just because we've been sold something and told something doesn't mean we have to take it like any longer. And there's actually a better quality of life out here waiting for us. Um, if we just step across that, you know, for most people it's fear, fear of the unknown. Yeah. Um, but I want my life to be that example. Um, that's why I talk to people all the time. If they have questions, like, how did you do what you did? Like, okay, well, here, here's the steps. Here's what I did. Um, so yeah, being black is a great thing. I love it. Wouldn't change it for anything going around this world. Like you actually realize it's a, it's a great asset. Um, and you know, I'm I'm usually out here in the places where the sun is shining. My skin gets nice and <laughs> nice and activated. It's it's wonderful. Like it's it's great. I hope you were enjoying today's episode with Ramsey Zamoon. Ramsey's perspective on making the tough decisions to find the life he was meant to lead challenged some of my own convictions and led me to some deep introspection. But first, I had to ask him some hard questions. After a quick look forward to next week, next Thursday on episode 14, big, beautiful, but not the point. Autism, Animals, and Autoimmune, the many facets of Larissa Port, will be live. I sit down with my amazing friend Larissa, a self-described, pretend homesteader and semi-emotionally stable human being who is just taking it one day at a time. We talk body image, parenting children with autism, Enneagrams, and the struggle to allow people in. I am so happy to introduce one of my favorite people on earth to the authentic audience, and I think you will love her too. So don't miss next week's episode where she pushes me to widen my perspective in a very engaging conversation. If you like what you're hearing on today's episode, you might want to check out episodes three and four, communicating across cultures, representing yourself while respecting others with Derek Sire, a two-part series that challenges how we communicate across community barriers and learn to understand each other. 
Now, let's get back to this great conversation with Ramsey Zamoon. So you talked about leaving to save yourself, right? Um, mm-hmm. You were, and I mean, we all have a complex system of relationships that we're part of. And when you start to choose yourself, boundaries have to be redrawn. And sometimes relationships are sacrificed. Some, some people get hurt in the process of, of reclaiming your identity. What did you yeah. find in that? Um, well, I found that I found that I was hurting people already because of my imbalance, because of my pain. Um, I had been hurting people for a long time, just leaving a trail, a trail of hurt in my, in my, in my wake. And, you know, that's something that I had to, uh, come to terms with and, and figure out like, what what am I going to do to fix this? Um, so yeah, like I'll give an example. Um, so I was still working in the surgical field at the hospital during this whole transition, during the major part of the transition, like my health and wellness part. And, uh, you know, when I was close to 300 pounds, like I said, I was that laughing, joking, say yes to everything. Uh, eat everything in the break room, you know, make, make uh, unhealthy choices, all, all types of things. But once I started saying yes to me, little by little, like people were looking at me kind of sideways and like, well, he's not acting like he used to. He's not saying yes to uh, overtime and coming into work in the snow, like putting his, his, uh, you know, safety in jeopardy. Uh, he's not talking about things. He's not joking around about nonsense. Like he used to, he's, he's actually using his voice. Now he's speaking, but he's speaking on different things. Um, and this version of myself started making people feel uncomfortable. Uh, because I can no longer be controlled. I can no longer be manipulated. I can no longer, uh, I was no longer of use to that, that system. And, um, you know, it's like breaking free from the matrix. It's like, uh, once they see that you're, you're no longer with it, like they, they send the, they send the people out to get you. so that that was that was one instance. Um, another with relationships, like once I started speaking up, just like my you know friends on social media and things like that, and locally, uh, once I started speaking on different issues, because my social media kind of changed. Like in the beginning, I was all about you know just posting craziness and random stuff, low 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 vibrational things. Mm-hmm. But once I started changing to high vibrational subject matters and using my voice on those subject matters, that also started making people feel uncomfortable. Um, when I, once I started talking about like our choices and how they affect us, once I started talking about how uh, religion, religious doctrine hurt me and how it hurts blackness and how it, um, you know, all of this, how I started talking about like how, you know, 
uh, dysfunctional masculinity, imbalanced masculinity, and how it's like, uh, you know, hurting the family unit, um, and how it's harmful to, to women and all of this stuff. Like once I started talking about these things, which are just truth, um, like it rubbed people the wrong way, certain people, certain people who wanted me to think a certain way, who wanted me to talk a certain way, who wanted me to act a certain way and feel a certain way. Um, and you know, those, those relationships fell off because they're quick to let you know, like they don't agree with what you're saying. They'll, they'll make, they'll make themselves known. Um, and then you just, you, you dust them off a little bit and let them go do what they're, what they'll do. They'll fall off. Like they're, once they, they can't get what they have been getting from you, uh, they'll, they'll fall off and latch themselves onto, to another, uh, source. Uh, when it comes to close relationships, uh, I was married at the time and I realized that I could not be who I needed to be within that container of the relationship. Um, the journey that I needed to go on to, to like basically find myself, I couldn't do that being attached to somebody in like this conventional, uh, marriage box. Um, and we both, like, we both came to the understanding. It was hard because, you know, we go through the natural progressions of a relationship and then like separating and divorcing and things like all that stuff is hard because you're, you know, the emotions are still there, but knowing that what you're doing is going to lead you to your best self. It's going to lead you to actually being fulfilled. Um, and like with most things, once you step across that fear into what your, what your heart and spirit truly feels like you should be doing in the direction you should be going, you can, you can take that deep breath and you realize that you had been holding your breath for, for like a long time. Um, and once I, you know, once I got, got past that, um, I realized that, that I needed to, to like be free to explore like who, who I am, who I want to be, uh, the type of relationships that I want to, to cultivate. Um, and now, you know, yeah, it was a sad time, but we realized it was the best for both of us. Um, and, and it's been, it's been, uh, it's been wonderful, like learning more about each other and, and stepping into our, our true authentic selves and our true paths uh, that we have. Did you have any children together? No, we had a blended family. Um, she had a, a daughter and I have I have a daughter. Um, that's another thing uh, with with kids leaving um, because they're not going to understand why. Right. I know if I was a, you know, if I was a kid and, you know, my, my dad came up to me and was like, Hey, I got to go on this journey. I'm leaving the country. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> like, he's like, I got to go find myself. I'm like, what are you sitting right here talking to me? I, I found you. You're not, you don't have to go anywhere. Yeah. Like, we're not going to understand that because there's certain experiences that we have to go through in life to like, get to this point. 
Um, and without those experiences, uh, you know, we're not, we're not going to understand. So for me, like leaving was a, it was a big decision on many fronts. Like, am I being selfish for choosing my, myself? Um, am I being, am I going to hurt my daughter by, by like leaving, um, in the long run and all of these things, it, you know, it's part of the journey of understanding that and also trusting in the unknown, trusting that your, you know, guides, your, your inner wisdom, your inner guidance system is leading you down the right path. Um, and that in the future, these seeds that you have planted, like they'll, they'll finally see once, once they're old enough to, to, uh, to recognize like the, the choices and decisions that you had to make, um, for yourself. And I hope that I'm an example. So, so when my daughter gets old enough to choose herself, she'll, she'll look back and be like, Oh, that's what dad was talking about. That's what he, that's why he chose to do what he did. Um, I see it all the time and, you know, people, uh, think about their loved ones that they leave behind and things like that. I'm like, they'll be fine. You choose you because you, you can't be any good to them. That's another reason why I left. Like I wasn't treating the people who I wanted in my life the way they should have been treated. Mm -hmm. And if I would have stayed, which would have been easy, like I could have kept up the, the narrative and, and things like that, but it wasn't, it wasn't healthy. I knew I had to go. Um, I, I knew I had to go. So yeah, it was a difficult decision, but I stick by it. I'm glad I, I did it. Like it's, did it come with challenges? Absolutely. But was it the right choice? Absolutely. When you sit down to that conversation with your daughter, letting her know that, you know, you're leaving, what, what goals and objectives do you lay out for her? And how, how old is she at this time? And what plan do you lay out for her as to how, how long you'll be gone? What the plan is? Like, how much stability and certainty are you able to offer a child at that point? Um, well, this was, she's 16 now. This was um, almost three years ago. Mm -hmm. Um. What stability? The stability is is knowing that she also has another parent that loves and cares for her. Um, I also the the stability of knowing that I'm doing the right thing for myself. And if you're doing the right thing for yourself, for like your truest self, it's going to be the right thing for the for the all, for the greatest the greatest good. And I I had to. Not saying there weren't nights when I was like crying myself to sleep because I'm I'm missing everything, um, but I still knew that that I had to do that. So you know, you sit down with them, you try to explain it the best way that you can. Um, really, you you're not speaking to that to that physical. You're speaking to their spirit. You're speaking to their soul, and and letting and connecting with that. Um, version of them. Um, the plan, 
for me. Like I don't I don't plan on moving back to the States. Oh wow. Uh because that would be like getting off the plantation and then for a few years and then moving back. To me that's how that's how I see it. That's a uh I'm not disagreeing with you. It's just that's a big that's a big commitment. It is it is a big commitment, but it's it's an easy decision. Once once you get out and, and see, once you, you leave the eye of the storm and you see the craziness that's actually going on that we have normalized in like we've normalized school shootings. Like it's just a thing now. Yeah. We've we've normalized people being unhealthy and, and living off of non-food. We've organized, I mean, we've, we've um, normalized being worn out and angry and tired and depressed. We've uh, normalized taking pills for everything. Um, we've normalized overworking ourselves. Uh, we've normalized how we get treated as, as treated and viewed as, as black people in America. We like, we've normalized this. Like we, um, we've normalized like black men being killed in the street. Like it's just, it's all of this stuff. And once I removed myself from it and just saw how crazy it is, like there was nothing that was going to make me return to that. Like, cause it, it was, it would be, it would be crazy. And that's just, that's just my, my take on it when it comes to like, my my daughter that's because that's who that's the main person that i that i care about so that's who i'll speak on everybody else can like come visit if they want to and this and that um but for for her <clears throat> like it's it's the same thing like she can visit passport all, all the what i'm what i'm doing actually is not out of the like there are lots of people doing this out here in these communities there are lots of people who are, uh, you know, who have left their, who have moved from the, we'll just say the States, um, and whose kids come back and forth, you know, um, two-parent households and, uh, you know, things like that. So it's, it's, not, it's not uncommon um, from where I'm sitting. Right. Um, you know, somebody else, you know, in, in the States may may think it's crazy. May think, how does that work? How can that even be possible? How could you do that to your kid? Like these kids are, are actually great. They're seeing a different way of life. They're seeing, they're meeting people from all around the world. They, they are expanding. They are learning different languages. They are eating different foods. They are seeing how the rest of the world operates and lives. They are also seeing how the rest of the world views American, uh, the United States as well. And, uh, let me, let me tell you, ask you two more, two questions. One, was it always the plan to leave and stay out? Was that, was that the initial plan from the beginning? And two, at what point along the journey did you start to involve your daughter in the process in which you were like, okay, I've, I've done enough at this point to where I'm ready to have you with me as I go through it through, you know, as long as you're able to stay or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, I think I always knew, no, I always knew that 
I did not want to stay in the States. Like I wanted to retire on a beach somewhere. Like this was early on in my life. Yeah. Um, just because that seemed like a baller lifestyle to me. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm like, who would not want to do that? Right. Um, but as I got older and then specifically for this journey, I, I think deep down, I knew I didn't want to come back, but I did not have a plan. I just knew where I did not want to be. Mm. I didn't know where I was going to end up or, you know, how long I was going to be there or how long I was, but I knew I did not want to be in the States. I knew that. And so knowing where I didn't want to be, the rest of it was easy. I'm like, oh, I have everywhere else on the map to choose from, uh, to go. Um, but when I first left, like I was, I was deep in my, I knew I needed to heal, uh, heal so much. Um, so when it comes to my, my daughter, it, it was like, I would say it was like a year or more when I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm, I feel like I've addressed, uh, what I needed to address. Not, not all of what I had to address, but like, I'm now in a place that I can, like, I can be the father that I wanted to be. Um, because when I was in the States, I, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't be the father that I wanted to be. Um, I wanted to be a, a good father. Like I wanted to be a good man, but it's, uh, I also wanted to heal. I also didn't want to feel angry. I also didn't want to feel this anxiety. I didn't want to feel the oppression. I didn't want to feel all of these things that I, I was feeling. And I realized like I, my healing journey started in America but I realized quickly that I couldn't find the healing that I needed in the same environment that was poisoning me. Mm. Um, so that was the reason why I knew I needed to to leave and, and remove myself from, uh, you know, we talk about it's, it's a house of domestic violence. That's what, that's what the States are to me. Um, and if you think of it like that, if you think about a house where domestic violence is going on um, and you're able to get out, it's like, why would you why would you go back into it? Especially when you know the person who is who is being violent to you, who is abusing you is still doing like they're still on their same behavior. But he's changed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But 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 we're he's progressive now. Like, no. No, it, you, nothing's changed. You've just gotten slicker mm-hmm. with with your you you know how to leave the bruises and the internal bleeding Ooh. now. Well, the reason why I, I I keep turning back to your daughter is because to me, as you're you know really kind of uh, trying to define who you are, you can mm-hmm. you you get to choose who you're accountable to to a degree. Like you, you being married is an optional accountability. Having, you know, being part of a group or a system is optional accountability. But yeah. when you have a child, I believe you have a responsibility to be accountable to that person. That one's not optional mm-hmm. because they had no choice but to come into this world by your doing. So that's, that's why I keep coming back to that is because I'm just curious how you navigated that. Because it is such a big life change, both for you and for your, your child. And then what you're saying about how it is now that they are getting a, a more, uh, a better worldview 
they're not just seeing America from inside, which I, I think is actually very important. I traveled a, a good amount in my in my teenage years, and I think it helped me a lot with my ability to separate from the ethnocentrism. And I think that spending a lot of time outside the country is great. But in that yeah. in that first period, I'm just curious as to curious as to how accountable you felt toward your daughter, even though you did, you know, you had to choose yourself. Like, were you still clear to where she understood what was happening? I was as clear as I could be speaking to a young kid. Like, they aren't going to understand. All they're going to see is dad's leaving. Like, that's that's what they're going to see. I, I explained but now as she's gotten older, like she's understanding more. And that's what I had to trust in. Like she's, she's understanding. Um, so in the beginning, it, it was rough. It was rough. It was so hard. One of the hardest decisions that I've, that I've ever made. Like, how could I do this to my, to my daughter? How could I like, you know, abandon her, quote unquote, abandon her. And I, I heard this because I got people in my ears saying all this. People who, who are afraid of taking, taking those steps outside of, um, outside of what they've been told or shown, like what this life is, is uh, supposed to be about. Um, you know, to this day, I have people like, how could you do that to your, because they can't think outside of, of that, that box that they, that they have. Um, so it was, you know, it was rough, especially in the, in the very beginning. And, um, but the more and more that I experienced outside of, and the more that I saw and connected with people who had made the same decision that I had made and saw that their kids were great. Their kids were in a better position. Their kids were uh, more cultured. Their kids, you know, understood. And there's there's some kids out here that fly back and forth a lot, um, you know, for several different reasons. But for me, yeah, it, it was tough. And once I got to that point where I realized that, um, okay, like now I can, I can, open my doors. I can open, open my, my heart and my spirit and, and, uh, and reconnect, you know, like in the ways that, that I, I wanted to, um, because I am better. I am healed. I am more balanced. I am of a more solid foundation. Uh, so like all of that needed to happen. It needed to happen. If I would have not made the choices that I had made, I would have destroyed everything to the point uh, where it wouldn't have been salvageable or been able to be reconnected or healed or put back together or anything like that. So like when you do, when you make those decisions, you, there's a natural process of like emotions and thoughts and all of that stuff that we go through because we're human. Um, but it's, it's learning how to look beyond that, how to not let the raw emotions take over like your mind and your logical, like spiritual, uh, thinking and, and decision-making. 
Um, because when we do that, when we do that, it's easy to look on the surface to say, oh, Ramsey's just abandoned his family. Oh, look at like he's a de- deadbeat dad. He's he's this, he's that. Um, but for people who get it and who understand or who at least want to take the time to try to understand, like, hey, why did you how how did you, you know, come to this this conclusion? I just want to get a better understanding of it. I'm not I don't really understand because it would seem hard for me to do that. But once I sit down with them, you know, not everybody gets it, but those who are willing to listen, like it, you know, it uh it broadens their ability to to see the vision, the the whole vision. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm gonna shift a little bit. Um black men don't do yoga. How often have you heard yeah. that? How many how much time you got? No, uh <laughs> Like, uh, so many, so many, so many and several different, several different, not even black men or not just black men. Like I remember growing up cause I grew up in the church, uh, that community thinks that yoga is like some devil worship, evil stuff. Like even to this day. Like I try to get my dad to do, do yoga and he's like, oh, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. And this, I'm like, what is doing yoga have to like, what are you talking about right now? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, but coming back to just like the black men uh, doing yoga. Yes. I've heard that so many times. I've heard that it's only for white people. I've heard it's only for white skinny women. I've heard that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gay because I do yoga. Like all of this stuff is out of conditioned fear. Yeah. You know, all of these things that, that, you know, we I've heard and, and things like that, but those who have stepped across that fear, this is a reoccurring theme. Those who have stepped across that fear and, and gone to a yoga class or, uh, you know, done yoga in the park or just done yoga, uh, with themselves. Uh, they know, like they know, and, and yoga has saved every aspect of my life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, uh, all the leads. It has, it has, yeah, it has saved everything. It has allowed me to reconnect with the ancestor within myself. Um, and I say that because the two practices that I focus on are uh, comedic yoga and Smaitawi Egyptian yoga. And those are two practices that are African in origin. Um, so they have uh, allowed me to reconnect with the ancestor within myself. They have strengthened my mind, my body, and my spirit. Uh, they have empowered me in so many different ways. I actually think of these practices as a martial art. And when I owned a studio in, in Tulsa, I would approach it like that. And the studio wasn't some like fancy smancy. Oh, here's your tea. Here's some incense. Here's some spritz for your, your, you know, some bougie place. Like it was like a dojo. Like it was raw in there. Yeah. And because I, I consider it a, a martial, you know, a martial art. Um, yoga saved me in a time when I was about to lose everything. 
like I first got into yoga, uh, courtesy of my, my ex-wife, like she had been doing yoga. She saved me in so many different ways. Uh, she had been doing yoga since before she knew what the word yoga meant. Um, she was South Asian Indian. And, you know, when I needed to get back in shape, like I couldn't touch my toes, I couldn't do anything. Like I was looking like I was Frankenstein's son, like just walking around all stiff and everything. And um, she was like, you need to try this yoga, try this yoga. And from the first time, like I recognized the benefits from it. But, uh, and then I wanted to go and search deeper and I wasn't finding the representation. You say black men don't do yoga. Well, there's another reason why black men don't do yoga is because they don't feel safe in the spaces of gentrified Western uh, yoga. So when I went searching for deeper aspects of yoga, I ended up in completely white spaces, which did not make me feel comfortable because I'm having to basically put white people at ease to say, to make them know that I'm safe. Yeah. And then, and then I have to, you know, make them laugh or make them, you know, do this. Or I've got some lady over here saying like, oh, who's this sexy chocolate brother in here? And I'm like, I'm not here for all of that. Like, I'm here to find healing. Another thing, I couldn't find healing in the same environment that was poisoning me. Like this, this, these environments, they, they weren't fulfilling me. They weren't talking about the things that I was going through outside of these peaceful doors. They want to talk about peace and love and oneness and things like that. But I'm stepping outside the yoga studio and getting my head beat in. Uh, you know, nobody's talking about how my heart rate changes when a cop car pulls behind me. Nobody's talking about that. Yeah. And so that's what led me to go on my own journey to find my own practices and tools and resources for what worked for me in my experience. Um, but black men need yoga. That's just facts. Because we, we suffer from so much, so much, anger, so much depression, so much anxiety, so much like false image of self, who we are as Kings. Um, and, and, you know, the leaders of, our communities, the leaders of our families, the leaders of our, our just ourself. Um, all of that yoga, these yoga practices have helped me reclaim all of that and find deeper understanding um, of myself. You know, yoga can be, yoga has many levels. It can be just this 30 minute hour class that you go to that helps you, helps your body, or it can be a whole nother lifestyle where you become this yogi and every breath that you take, every movement that you make is with purpose and intention. And you become more in alignment with yourself. You become more in alignment with nature, the universe. Um, and that's what has gotten me to what, what I'm doing now, where I am now, the, 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 the vision and goals and understanding of, of who I, who I am now. It's, it's because of these yoga practices and philosophies and mindsets. And, uh, you know, it's, that's what I've given my life to Yeah, is, is being this, this example of how, you know, I just met this family the other day. I was out eating 
this black family here, beautiful family. And the, the father was like, within like 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes in the conversation, he was like, you know, I could tell that you're, you're different just by your demeanor, just by the peace that you, I can see is on the inside coming out the balance that you have, not like physical balance, but like balance of, of self. Um, and he was like, whatever, whatever you're doing, like I want it. And he, he signed up for some of my classes. Mm. Um, but I, I, I see this all the time, you know, black men saying, Oh, I don't want to do yoga. I've never done yoga. This or that, you know, it's for, it's for women. I'm like, brother, you, we need it more than anybody. Mm. Like just, just come. And, uh, you know, I've tailored my classes to, to speak to, to who I needed to speak to, um, who I wanted to speak to most. And, uh, you know, I'll tell any and everybody, especially in our community, I'm like, get into this yoga, get into this yoga. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not what you learn on the way down. It's what you learn on the way up from these poses. The journey is is in the poses um, that we're connecting with. Um, it's in the breath. Uh, you know, we're we're healing ourselves from the inside out, healing our minds, healing our bodies, healing our spirits. And you know, from some of the things that we've been through in this life, like we all need that. We all need that, but specifically, uh, black men. Uh, you know, we we do have a shared cultural trauma by being American black men that is kind of uncommon in most cultures. And that's, and yoga is definitely a path to healing for that. So I definitely appreciate what you're saying there. Um, what you just spoke to kind of erased several different questions in my head that I, I can't figure out which path to go down. So I'll, I'll give you a couple options and you can just kind of, okay. you know, latch onto what intrigues you. I didn't know about Egyptian yoga. Uh, from what I understood, yoga was something that came from, you know, uh, poses that were part of Hinduism that were then, you know, that been appropriated as a popular uh, take on it into Western culture. Is that yeah. it's been appropriated to the SoCal, um, Calabasas, white women doing like that's kind of the thing yoga is. Kind of one thing would be to explain the the nuance between Egyptian and uh, the, the more, uh, the more present, like traditional yoga, yeah, I guess. Absolutely. Um, so yoga in all its forms was practiced in Africa for thousands of years before it had reached any other uh, place. Um, you know, we know the Egyptian uh, civilization, and we're finding more and more evidence that it's much, much older than we've been told. Um, and that's that's a whole like th there's layers to all of that. It's taking. I said anti-blackness was a, a global thing. Like they're trying to take the the blackness out of the the Egyptian uh, stories and and things like that. And you know, anytime a, a black figure is is put in Egyptian garbs, like somebody's got to say something about it. Um, so, yeah, yoga was practiced for, you know, 
four, five, six thousand years in an area what's called what's now called Egypt, but um, before that it was called Kemet, and Kemet is uh, basically means the land of of black, the black land, um, and it was called this for thousands of years. Egypt is actually the Greek name. Um, Kemet is is what they call it, Kim or Kemet. Um, and so when you hear like comedic this or comedic comedic yoga, um, this is this is what they're talking about. Same same land, um, just it was taken over by by the Egyptians. And then the Egyptian, you know, land people conquer different lands and they bring in different civilizations. And then the old goes out. But this is the same thing that happened with um, Egypt or Kemet. Uh, the uh, Greeks took over. Um, from either the Persians or, or Macedonians or Assyrians, like all of these people had ties to Egypt. Um, but at the last point, uh, you know, the, the people who were in the temples, the priests, they were the ones who passed down the knowledge, the knowledge of uh, the Madu Netur, the divine language, which is hieroglyphics, um, all of the practices, all of the um, sciences. And they would go to these mystery schools and people would learn these things. Um, so once basically the priest kind of died out, um, you know, the knowledge was lost. But also, uh, you know, as civilizations are conquered, the people move away. And that's how these practices made their way over to India. Um, and if you're familiar with the people, they're called the Dravidians. They were actually, um, a darker skinned people that migrated from, uh, Nubia, um, and from, from Africa. And they brought this knowledge over to, to India and, and just shared it with them. Um, you know, I'm not real big on like where things come from or the origins. I don't get into those arguments. Um. I just do my own research. And if somebody asks, like I, I, I tell them what I know and what makes sense to me and the evidence that I have seen that's been presented to me, like it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, and if you look at the, the civilizations, the cultures, the people, the practices, the stories, the mythology behind the things, um, like you'll see the similarities. And then after that, all you have to do is just look at the evidence of the age of the cultures, the civilizations, and, um, you know, put them side by side. And, uh, you know, you'll see the figures, they, they, they coincide. And the beautiful thing about these practices is they can coexist at the same time. Yeah. Like they can... They, you can do whatever you want, whatever brings healing. I just don't practice or think about, you know, comedic yoga, Egyptian yoga. Um, like I'm a student of life in general. And that means being open to, to knowledge and, and different ways of thinking and different ways. So I, I study it all. My main practices are, are the um, basically African yoga, Egyptian yoga. Uh, comedic yoga, just because that's what resonates with me. 
like in this body, in this life that I'm living, um, that is what empowers me. I tried the other forms of yoga. Like I've, I've tried a lot, but nothing spoke to me like these practices uh, speak to me. And I hear uh, people in, in our community say the same things over and over and over again. The first time I did the practices, like I started crying uh, because it felt like the ancestors basically giving me a hug mm. and and saying like, it's going to be all right. Like you're, you're home now. Um, and so now this other journey can begin. Um, but you know, the, the practices, they're old, the, the philosophy it's old. And I'm of the belief that we are to, to move forward, to truly move forward. We have to look back. We have to look at what was before. We have to look at the ancients. We have to look at the ancient practices, the, the ancient philosophies, because we're on pace now as a society to basically out advance like the use of being human. Mm. Like we got all this AI and this and that. And like, uh, uh, I'm ready for Skynet to, to up, up link itself. Right. <laughs> like I'm watching old Terminator movies. I'm like, how do I beat this? How do I beat this guy? Um, because those civilizations lasted for thousands of years. They were balanced. They were of a matriarchal uh, system. Like the, the feminine was, was in the forefront. Um, and then again, I just look at the evidence of where we have taken ourselves in like this male dominated society. It's men who start wars. It's men who pollute rivers. It's men who make women feel unsafe. Like it's, it's, it's all of this stuff. And the, like we're hurting as a society because of, and it, it's men who can also change that, who can, who can turn it around, who can uh, step into healing themselves, who can step into being a more balanced uh, individual, who can, um, who can step into vulnerability. Like we have the power to change, change all of that. Um, and so another reason why I'm out here doing what I'm doing is just trying to be that example. I, I don't think there's any, um, any doubt in my mind that you are a true appreciator and practicer of the, you know, the, what the functional, what, what did you call it? Functional development. Now, in your bio, it, you kind of categorized all these arts in, in one way that really I thought was really poignant. But some people say that learning yoga and it not being germane to your culture is, is appropriative. How, how would you argue against that? Uh, it can be appropriate. You know, it's all about how you use these beautiful ancient tools and resources. If you're just doing it to show up to class so you can wear your Lululemon, um, if you're just using it as a social event, if you're, um, you know, doing this, doing that, uh, 
if you're trying to make like this financial gain off of it, if you're not, so I'll take um, comedic yoga and Egyptian yoga for an example. Um, let me see if I can read something here. So these practices, and at first I, I really struggled with this because I was like, these are, these are African practices for black people by like FUBU. <laughs> like this is, this is for us, by us, right. like, and that's it. But I, I realized that I was closing myself off. I was isolating myself to other people who were in search of truth. And that's what these practices are about. It's about finding truth and, and balance. And this is a universal concept. This is not for certain people of skin color. This is for people who want knowledge and true knowledge of self and want to be in alignment with the world around them, who want to be living in joy, who want to be fulfilled, who want to feel like they have purpose, uh, who want to, um, you know, find healing. So like these practices are open to all who believe in peace, nonviolence, and spiritual emancipation, regardless of sect, sex, race, or creed. Um, and I, I truly believe that now. Once I took on, once I made that switch, like it, it changed everything. Um, I realized that I was actually still hanging on to like some, some seeds of anger and, and, by by putting myself in, in certain, you know, by minimizing my my reach. Um, and that wasn't fair to myself. That wasn't doing justice to the true aspects of the practice. Um, you know, if I had the cure to cancer, would I just hold it for myself and for a certain certain people? Or am I going to do this because I've been given this powerful gift. Like, how do I get to use it? And that's, that's how I look at these, these practices, these tools and resources. They are a powerful, powerful gift. And it's a great responsibility to, to be trained in them, to use them as a, as a practice. And so how, how do I use these? How do I deliver them to, to the world? Um, and like I said, once I realized that I was being closed off um, and I made that switch, like it just changed everything. It opened my heart, actually. Yeah. It opened my spirit. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm there. I'm there with it. So, I mean, it's, it's really all about intentionality and and it is all about intention. Yeah. And so as you're, you know, building your own practice and you're, you know, looking to create a space for people who were you when you first started, how do you avoid creating the same type of, you know, the same, the same type of situation that scared you away from yoga? Um... I always intentionally make a space that's open to everyone, open and welcoming to any and everybody. 
I also do know how important it is for our Black community to have spaces of their own for their own healing as well. So I, I hold spaces for that as well. Um, because there are some things that like we need to talk about that we can't talk about in the presence of everybody. Right. We shouldn't have to talk about it in the presence of everybody because it's, it's based on our experience and we need to feel safe using our voice and talking about things or to, to let, let go of some certain things. Um, there have been times when, you know, I'm lying around with my eyes closed in Savasana, you know, in the past in certain situations, I didn't feel safe, like around these certain people with my eyes closed and, and things like that. And, or I didn't feel safe to completely be vulnerable and to let go. But then I get around a bunch of brothers and where I'm, I'm able to tap into that, to that, uh, that lived experience, that universal lived like black experience. So I can say certain things that I know they're gonna resonate with. I can, um, you know, have my voice in a certain way that I, that I know they're gonna resonate with. I can talk about certain experiences that I know that they are gonna resonate with. Like I, I hold a class that's just for black healing just for that and like specific it's a meditation class um and it's specifically for our black experience walking through this life um and how we've had to make ourselves small and how we've had to hold our breath and um how we we don't know like who we truly are um and it it helps to reconcile all of that and walks us through that like i can't do that class with everybody in there that's that's a specific place just for us but i also know that there's you know certain aspects of the practice that is for everybody because there's there's universal truths like math math is something that was perfected in in ancient kemet this is something that they learned in the mystery schools is because Math is perfect. Math is a universal cosmic principle. Like one plus one is always going to equal two. No matter what planet you're on, no matter what color you are. And that's what I give of my practice. I give the one plus ones mm -hmm. to people who can take those universal truths. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to better your existence no matter where you go. Because it's going to plant a seed of truth within you that that is going to grow if you want it to. And most people that, that, uh, you know, most people that I talk to are open because to even like get to hear my voice, like of the vibration that it's at, like you have to be at a certain, certain, you know, level Yeah. because it's not certain ears aren't going to hear. It. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're at the point where you're like, huh, what he's saying is, is kind of interesting. Like, I can plant that seed and it's, it's gonna, it's gonna do something. So I, I think I've got the, a pretty good analogy for what you've been talking about. Your, your, your practice is kind of like a support group that can go anywhere from, you know, supporting general trauma, which is for everybody to, uh, victims of sexual assault, which you're not going to want 
people who look like the most common abuser in that class with the people who are trying to heal. And so you try to create spaces for that as well. So that's, I think that's a really special thing. And I think that helps my understanding of, um, of what you're doing. And I think it's, I think it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Um, man, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try to start wrapping this up because we've been going for almost an hour and a half and I, mean, <laughs> I still have a ton of questions. So I, I could go for a long time, but I want to respect your time and also my audience's time and not talk their ear off for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, usually I ask this at the beginning, but having a better understanding of you, how do you define authenticity? I define authenticity by, by living your truth, whatever that is. Um, and letting go of the need of approval from outside entities, outside sources. Um, and also a truth that does not come at the expense of others, peace and safety. Because there's a whole lot of people out there living their truths and like they're just talking nonsense and they're talking down to people and they're, you know, making people feel marginalized yeah. or, or oppressing others. Um, like, you know, slave masters were living their truth when they were shipping us across like that. That was their truth. Yeah. Um, but it was coming at the expense of, of you know, us. Um, so a truth that is um, for the betterment and the expansion of the universe, like it's it's going to heal people, it's going to help people, it's going to build people up. Um, you, you being off, your authentic self is it going to inspire people. Uh, you living your authentic self is going to. Uh, bring people joy and fulfillment. It's going to make them think about their own journeys and their own paths. Um, you living your authentic self, like you're not going to have to explain it to people. They're going to be able to see it in the way that you live. Um, and that's where like my life, how I said, I want it to be a living example. I want it to be a living example of what, being authentic is what living in truth is um what freedom and liberation is uh all of that so yeah living living authentically it can mean a lot of things for a lot of people but for me it's it's like being this this empowered sovereign nation of of peace and uh of joy, of health, of wellness, um, of, of being balanced, of being in, in control of self, all of that. Okay. And like hanging out at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you think of a time whenever being authentic has burned you? Never. Wow. I, I kind of asked that um, as a trick question because I'm, I love to hear the different ways in which people answer it. And a lot of people yeah. end up saying something like, um, well, yeah, it actually turned out to be, be a good thing, but 
I was like, well, so it didn't actually burn you, but I like I challenge to I challenge people with that question because when you are your best, like when you are the best version of yourself that you can produce, I can't think of a time in which it's gonna not serve you in the long run. Absolutely. Absolutely. Being our living our our true self, living authentically, living in truth is always going to be the best. It may not be the best for everyone. Actually, no, it is the best for everyone around you. It's the best for yourself. And at the time, they may not realize it's the best for them because they have to deal with their, you know, their own uh, things. But me living a non-authentic life only enables, like, the chaos around me, Mm -hmm. Um, whatever that may be. Uh, whether it's the way that people interact with me, um, whether it's the attitudes that they bring to me that I allow to happen, um, you know, it's always, it's just like your parents say, it's always better to tell the truth. Yeah. It's like, uh, and it's always better to live your truth. It may, it may seem difficult in the time, uh, of, of when things occurring in the, in the present. But in the future and also in the past, like it's going to heal, it's going to reconnect all those severed through lines to make you like this whole being uh, once again. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's the purpose of this whole journey of life is just to reconnect all of those severed parts of ourselves to, to make ourselves this whole uh, being again. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, <clears throat> If people want to find out more about Amun Ramsey's, I'm sorry, Ramsey's Amun, where where do they where should they go to find out more about you? Uh, well, they can find me on Instagram, um, just Ramsey's uh, dot Amun or just Ramsey's Amun, and uh, I'm always I'm always on there. They can reach out, and um, you know, I I I do a lot of work out here. People think I'm not, I'm not doing much, but I'm, I teach yoga. I do mindset mentoring. I, uh, you know, on podcasts, uh, I, uh, I also host retreats. Um, I host, uh, plant medicine retreats. I have a, a couple, uh, psilocybin, uh, mushroom retreats coming up in Costa Rica that I'm hosting. Um, I, I travel, I take care of myself. Like I'm just out here enjoying life and, and doing, doing the work that needs to be done. But, uh, yeah, Ramsey's a moon on, on Instagram and, uh, don't, don't hesitate to reach out. Like, let's chat. Let's, let's get together. Let's do this. Uh, what's next for Ramsey's? You got anything big coming up or is there anything else you want to share with us? Uh, big. Like to me, it's all big. Like, uh, like I said, I do have, I have a retreat in Costa Rica that I'm hosting in November. And then I have another one in Costa Rica in January. Um, and you know, in between that, I actually will be coming to the States in October. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm working with a client one-on-one for the month of October. And, uh, you know, I, I always said that I would go back 
for certain things and it would have to be very intentional work. Yeah. And this is one of those instances, like I'm not going to be around, you know, going to this place or going to that place. I'm working with this person one-on-one out on their property. Like, um, it's very, it's very, you know, professional business. Um, and then after that, I'll be heading to, to Costa Rica, but there's, you know, there's always, there's always, I'm always in something creating something looking for the next, not even looking like, because I'm walking in alignment with my true path and my true purpose, like that, which is in alignment with me comes to me. Mm -hmm. Like no longer do I have to grasp for this, for that. I just live, live and, and stay in alignment. And, you know, those things reach out to me. So, so you're Um, not coming back to Mexico anytime in the foreseeable future. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll always come back to Mexico. So, so Mexico's this Mexico is like your home base. See, that's a, that's a trick question. <laughs> uh, because wherever I am is my home base. Mm-hmm. I love Mexico. I spend most of my time here because it's several reasons. Like it's safe. It's affordable. Uh, like the people are lovely. Um, and specifically Merida, um, because it's, it's been voted one of the safest like top three safest cities in all of the Americas, mm. North and South, Central, all that stuff, uh, for like the past decade. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's clean, it's affordable. There's tons of families, like black families moving here, all types of families moving here. Um the Mayan culture, the food, the people, like I I feel great here. Um so yeah, I'll always come back to Mexico. I don't know if it'll be Merida or what, because I also like travel around. Like I go to, you know, Oaxaca and stay for a month or two, or go to Playa del Carmen and stay for a month or two. I, I'm just trying to understand um, how you do something like, uh, you know, teacher practice whenever you are starting mm-hmm. over in a new place all the time. If you're, you know, moving all the time, I mean, maybe it's just because you are lined up with your, you know, in alignment with your path that the people just show yeah. up where you end up, but. I mean, what does that look like? Well, there there are communities to tap into all around, mm-hmm. and so I'll I'll tap into the community. So, like Costa Rica, for example, before that was the first place that I went to when I left the states, and for months before, I had tapped into these Facebook groups of like black expats and things like that. So they knew who I was before I was coming down. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing for Mexico. Um, you know, and other places that I go, I'll tap into the communities like Jamaica. Like I'll tap in and say, Hey, I'm a comedic yoga instructor. I do this, do that. Oh, that's great. Welcome. Come on down here. Meet this person, meet that person when you come here. Right. Um, and then just the more that I visit places. Uh, so I'm not always teaching yoga. Sometimes I'll teach virtually sometimes within the groups that I introduce myself in. They're like, Oh, he's a yoga teacher. And then they'll reach out to me and say, Hey, are you teaching? Can you teach one-on-one? Can you teach, uh, you know, on the beach or things like that? Um, so that's, that's how that happens. Um, just, just like word of mouth and, and being, uh, you know, sometimes I go to places and I don't want to be known. I just want to chill. Um, so that happens as well because self-care is, is very important. Like you can get, 
you can get sucked into this to this work just as well. Yeah, that's true. Tire, tire yourself out. I see it all the time. Like, uh, I have a thing about helping others. Like, I, I want to help others and help others. And sometimes I give too much of myself. I try to give from an empty cup, and that doesn't work out. So, self care is a big thing um, as well. So, wow. Yes, so, yeah. Thank yes, you for folks. being so open and answering everything so fully and you know, without any reserve. I, I really appreciate that. Um, well, I, want, I want to say this. I want to say yeah. this to you. You know, in the beginning, you talked about uh, watching my journey, but I have watched you for a long time. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, like, like longer than you probably even think. Um, even back in high school, uh, that senior year, like I watched you because, you know, I, your brother was in, in my grade. And, you know, he had his persona and like who he was. And I looked at you and I was like, how, how is, how is Bruce going to operate? Like, who is Bruce going to be? Is he going to be the little brother or is he going to be, because like, even at that young age, I was thinking about these things. I was like studying people and things like that. Um, And then as the years went by, I saw you developing who you wanted to be. You would go down a path. Sometimes the path didn't like lead where you wanted it to, but you are this, you found this magnificent way of like reinventing yourself and not like going down what seemed to be a dead end. It, I don't think there's dead ends. There's just like redirections. Yeah. And, and you learn how to take whatever road you were going by, take what you need and then, and then keep it moving onto something else. And, um, I've seen how you've grown and the man that you have become and the man that you are becoming, um, you know, especially with your beautiful family and how you've like, you inspire me. Oh. I'll, I'll, I'll say that like, and you never know who's watching. Um, you never know who's listening to you and you are consistent. You are consistently showing up and, and, that's what matters. And I really appreciate that. So I'd want to let you know that you are inspiration uh, to me and, and to so, so many others. So keep doing what you're doing. Um, thank you for, for providing this sacred space for people to, to use their voices. Um, and uh, yeah, you're doing, you're doing beautiful work. I'm trying, I'm trying not to tear up here, man. I, I... Thank you so much for saying that. Let it go. Don't try not to. Let it go. (laughs) Thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate hearing that. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm screaming into the void, but I'm hearing more and more that what I do does make a difference and has made a difference longer than I realized it. Because for a long time, I was floundering in my life, but I always tried to project something better than where I was at. And, you know, that was not out of a falsehood, but that was out of a, a genuine concern for the people around me to to live better lives than I was. So now I'm living I'm living that life for myself and being my authentic authentic self and am enjoying it and enjoying sharing this space with others and giving people a chance to share their stories and hopefully help people heal in their own lives and come into the place where I'm enjoying and you're enjoying so much. And you know, if they're not there yet, I hope that they hear parts of our stories and are able to say that there, there is hope there is something on the other side and it's, it's there. You just gotta, you just gotta get it. Absolutely. So 
Thank you so much to everybody who's listened in today, Vic. It's been a great conversation. If you've enjoyed today's episode, give us a follow and give it a like and share it with someone else you think might benefit from listening to it. Also, check out earlier episodes to support the future creation of great content. Don't forget to like us on at Authentic Identity Management on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, LinkedIn. And you can also head over to the Authentic Bruce YouTube channel for podcast video with bonus content and impactful clips from my conversations with these great guests. Finally, if you are struggling to show up as yourself in your content, your work, your family, or your life, I would love to help you. Authentic Identity Management does identity coaching to help you align yourself with the identity you share with the world. It's exhausting to live someone else's life. Live authentically and access the potential that belongs only to you. You can contact me at social or on email at bruce at authenticidentitymanagement.com so we can set up a 30-minute consultation for free. Thanks again to my guest, Ramsey Zamoon. It has been fantastic to get a deeper knowledge of you, and I think it's really just been very inspirational, and I hope that people get a lot out of it. That is it for today's episode. Until next time, be yourself and love yourself. Bye, everyone.